So, it seems to be your show today. Oh, I don't know about that, Jimmy. You always kind of um, steal the limelight. (laughs) Um, What have we got? This week, I spent two days at the AFR Property Summit, which the first day was about commercial real estate with some great speakers. And the second day was about residential real estate with some even better speakers, I might say. Okay. So, that was a really thorough look at the housing situation today. What else have we got? Um, so we'll be looking at what happened there, and we'll also be looking at one of the guests at the summit was the new rent commissioner, Trina Jones. So we heard what she said about rentals and the difficulty there. Um, we heard about a really interesting idea about getting rid of NIMBYs. Right. And we also got the OCN Strata Matters seminar coming up very soon. Yes, we have. At which we are both appearing, We're I going to be. They're going to let us out of our room <laughs> and we can go and be seen in public. All right, well, that is, as ever, a lot to be getting on with, so we'd better get on with it. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. So you were at a conference about residential housing. That's right. It was really interesting. It was was fortuitous timing, really, because, as you know, the Labour and the Greens finally reached an agreement on the Housing Australia Future Fund, as it's called now, the new $10 billion programme to provide 1.2 million extra homes in Australia over the next five years. Most of which we think will be apartments. Yes, it will be. Um, And also the $1 billion fund for um, social and affordable housing too. And that that had been the sticking point for the the Greens, really, who'd wanted that added on. And it was was good because that was agreed the day before the conference. Okay. The housing minister, Julie Collins, came along and gave a long and impassioned speech about um, the importance of the um, Housing Australia Future Fund and how they felt it would be financed and their hopes for the future, really, and, and how they felt that over the last decade, just not enough homes had been built and they were really trying, they were really going to try hard to make sure that we had a lot more homes in the future because we have such a critical shortage. One of the problems, though, that came up is that when you start building lots and lots of homes, you need lots and lots of material and lots and lots of people to build the homes. That's right. I mean, a lot of people were, were kind of greeting the government's announcement with real excitement and optimism. But a lot of other people, often the developers, were saying, well, how are we actually going to produce 1.2 million extra homes? I mean, that's a really big number. And we haven't been producing very many homes recently. So how comes? How can we double our output or more than double our output very quickly? And they were saying, well, we've got this big infrastructure boom. And the problem is, that's absorbing most of the labour mm. and many of the the materials that we need to build housing. So they were questioning whether we'd have the we'd have the workforce to erect these houses, and the supply of materials is still disrupted to some extent from yeah. after COVID. So whether we'll still have the materials as well, and they were also bringing up other issues like nimbyism. I mean, mm. we've, we've, we've well, talked we talked about, about that last week. Didn't we, we did, and they were saying, you know, the, the difficulty is that. Um, lots of people in in various areas don't want extra housing in their suburbs. You know, yeah. they might live in a median density suburb in Sydney or Melbourne, and they're saying, "No, no, we don't want high rise." Or they might have just you know freestanding ha- houses, and they don't want medium density apartments. Mm. And it's not until 
um, some of those empty nesters are looking for somewhere to downsize into and they think, well, there's nothing in our suburb. There's, right. We've got no apartments to, to downsize into. Yeah. And of course, that's their fault sometimes because they've been objecting to, to plans being put forward. Well, um, all, you know, for years and years and years, and they've been mm. electing councillors who promise that they won't allow low to medium rise apartments to be built in their area. Mm. And then they're turning around saying, well, where are we going to live? Mm. Now, you, one of the speakers you told me was Mark Burris of yeah, Yellow Brick Road. That's right. <laughs> it was quite interesting. He had a, a really interesting proposal I'd never heard before. He was saying that we've got to tackle this from the bottom up. And he said, Maybe locals should be paid bonuses if they reject NIMBYism and instead encourage new housing developments in their suburbs. So maybe there could be um, like a, a, a zone tax rebate to those on the ground who agree to development approvals right. and agree not to object to them. So I thought that was quite a nice idea, really. So if there were 10 new developments proposed for one area, providing, say, 10,000 new apartments, yeah. then those people who didn't object or the people who quite supported it could be paid a zone-based tax rebate. Right. And also there were lots of calls for planning approvals to be speeded up because they can take up to three years in Sydney. You know, especially if a DA gets put through and there are lots of local objections. Yes. It can take three years. And that's really hard. If you've got, you want 1.2 million extra homes in the next five years, that's three years that's taken up just in the planning process, really. Yeah, I wonder if it could be as direct as a tax rebate. I mean, I could see the government saying, hey, if you want new roads or you want a new railway station or you want a new sports ground, you're not going to get it if you reject Mm. low to medium rise housing. It's a political issue that shouldn't be political. That's right. Because Julie Collins said, look, it's for the greater good of all Australians that we can provide enough housing for Australians. Yeah. And as well as housing is a, a basic necessity and a basic right, as well as that, you know, people who live in existing areas in houses where there's apartments built nearby, their values of their homes go up exponentially. Really? Because they become much more desirable suburbs to live in. Because there's because more... Because there's a mass of people there. And the, they draw shops and That's right. facilities and yep. things like and that. And infrastructure right. is going to be built there as well because, you know, you, you've got areas like, say, Schofields, I remember, in, in, in Western Sydney. And when I went out there a few years ago, it was just apartments being built there. And then afterwards, all the infrastructure started coming in, which isn't, right. isn't the best way. It's great to have the infrastructure first, of yep. course. And also, one speaker talked about how Paris is the most densely populated city in the world. Is which, it? Yes, I was amazed. And he said there's not much high rise in Paris, but Paris is medium density, maybe sort of six to eight yep. levels of apartments. And they go on for miles and miles and miles. Right. So it's kind of like really dense, medium density. Right. And we don't think of Paris as being a really crowded city. We no. think of Singapore or Hong well, we Kong. Well, we tend to – the Paris that we see is, you know, around about the Eiffel Tower and the Champs-Élysées mm. and, you know, the tourist areas. That's right. And it's all very low-rise there. Yeah. And that was all <laughs> planned, you know, um, by – there was a town planner came in and, and designed basically the Paris that we know. Mm. Um, with these three or four story apartment blocks, you know, which are now mostly given over to Airbnb, I hear. But when you take the train out of Paris, then you see all the medium rise buildings yeah. that people 
lot of people. Mm. I didn't know it was the, the most densely populated yeah, city. Yeah, that was the, the claim. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. When we come back, we're going to talk about rents, tenants, and landlords, and uh, some innovative ideas for helping people who just can't find anywhere to rent. That's after this. So one of the speakers at one of the days that you were at this conference mm. was the rental commissioner, the fairly recently appointed rental commissioner. Of New South Wales, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Trina Jones. Uh-huh. She was really impressive. Yeah. And she was at pains to say all the time, look, we've got a rental crisis. It's terrible. Tenants are having an awful time. We're one of the worst countries in the world to be a renter. But at the same time, she was saying, we need to readdress the balance of power in the sector. Um, we need to have lots of changes. We need to improve the quality of life for Australia's tenants. But at the same time, we need to do it in concert with the landlords and right. with, the other, with the other interests. It's not. It shouldn't be them versus us. It should be kind of everybody reaching agreement on what's the best way to go forward. And she was saying that's critical, really, because... These days, there'll be lots of people, you know, in in the past, we always thought, oh, renting is, is you know, you, you're waiting to get onto the ladder of property ownership. Yeah. But there are many people today who are renting who will never own a house mm. or never own an apartment. And many of them don't want to. They won't aspire to that. I mean, mm. it's always been a big Australian dream. But really, in future, there'll be lots more people renting. Um, um, one of the things about renting is it gives you mobility. You know, you rent in a, an apartment. if as far as we're concerned, our interest is in apartments. You rent in an apartment, your job changes, your circumstances change, you don't like the area, uh, your favourite Indian restaurant moves two suburbs away, something like that. And you can, as a renter, you, well, theoretically, you can go and live where you want because you can find another place that's a similar cost or maybe even cheaper. But that's not the case now because there's so little rental property around. No, and I can't imagine anybody moving for their favourite Indian restaurant. To no, me neither. <laughs> now that you mention it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really tough out there for renters. And we have one of the shortest average rental tenure times in the world, you know, because people are being constantly moved on because we have no grounds evictions. Yes. So people can be ejected from their homes. Um, Which is the easiest way to put the rent up. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. So it's really, really difficult. And there were some really novel ideas. There's a property group called Longview and uh, the founder of that, Evan Thornley, was talking about how really – you know, we've, we're a nation of, of small investors, of mum and dad investors. Mm. But really, they kind of don't want to be bothered by having to look after the property repairs and maintenance and, and the worries about the tenants, that kind of thing. And if you could separate the investment in property from the, the care and management, that would be a perfect way of going forward. And one of those ways is obviously build to rent. Yeah. That, that took up a lot of time at the conference. I mean, at the moment, it's only 0.2% of the housing stock. Yeah. But in um, the US, it's 10% of the housing stock. Right. In the UK, it's now 5%. And it's growing exponentially in Australia as well. Oh, so it has fantastic potential. I mean, we did a oh, – years ago now, we, we featured a place in uh, yeah, Washington. Yeah, one of the first ones. Mm. In Washington, D.C., where, where you go in and it's a big, huge apartment block. It's kind of like a resort because it has its own bar. It has its own indoor golf course it has or driving range. It has um, swimming pool and gym and all that, but 
for the residents, predominantly for the residents. Like you, other people can go and drink in their club and, and have a dinner in their club, provided they're brought in by a resident. Mm. But it's just the other side of the Potomac from uh, Washington, D.C. And, and the government buildings there. So you imagine there's a lot of reasonably well-paid people who professional people for whom, yeah, look, they, they want to rent in a place like that for two or three years because they might not have a job there in two or three years' time because the government changes and priorities change. So it's perfect for them to have that mobility. But we have this idea here where you basically have to put down roots and, and stay in the one place for years and years. I think the average turnover for apartments is for ownership is seven years. Mm. I mean, who who gets a job for seven years these days? <laughs> Not many people. No. So, yeah, I mean, and we went to see a build to rent, one of the first ones in Australia in Sydney Olympic Park, mm. and that was going really well. And they've got a, um, a brother kind of cousin now in yeah. Melbourne, Liv Munro, which is just open. Right. And there are so many um, build to rent projects now being announced because the government has introduced tax concessions for them. Right. Well, they, they, yeah, it used to be like they, they made it difficult for them, didn't they? Yeah, no, that's right, but not anymore. They're really encouraging them. So so one thing, one way of separating the management from the ownership is build to rent. The other way, he was saying, we really need to get institutional investors investing in property in Australia. That was kind of interesting. I never really thought about that before because Apparently, there's there's lots of overseas capital really keen to invest in Australia and absolutely keen to invest in property. I mean, look at property prices rising, so mm. they get a good return. But um, there just aren't, aren't the kind of pathways to enable them to do it. And he was saying, you know, why don't we allow institutions to come in and buy up strata schemes, apartment yeah. strata schemes wholesale? Yeah. And then they they could appoint, you know, business managers yep. to look after the, the businesses. Yeah. And um, then you've absolutely got the um, division between, you know, church and state. You've got the right. division between the investment and the management. So you investment. invest in the build-to-rent company. It's you- not build-to-rent. It's build-to-sell. Build-to-sell. Oh, I see. Yeah. So they're, actually buying, so they're actually buying strata schemes. Like our apartment building, they could come in a big in- in institutional company could come in and if it was all rented, they could come in and buy it yeah. off of maybe the owner. Right. And then they could run it in a professional way and appoint a, a, a manager to look after it. Oh, I see. So it's yeah. not built to, to rent, it's, it's built to sell because they've bought it. Right. Okay. I think I understand. I'm not sure. It sounds like if you're buying a building that's full of renters and you're going to continue renting, it's kind of buy to rent. Buy to rent. (laughs) Well, it would enable this huge amount of institutional capital to come in and invest in property. And at the moment, they're not doing that. Yeah. Somebody was writing to us the other day saying, isn't it funny that, you know, we're starting to see these build to rent properties come up and these these apartment, you know, rental apartment blocks coming up. And we never hear about them having defects because, well, partly because the developer and the builder is having to deal with a large institution that has just as much money to spend on lawyers as they have. Yeah, and as well, they're keeping it. They're keeping possession of it often. Yeah. So therefore, if there are any defects, they want to get them sorted out They want to get them sorted, yeah. And often these buildings are really premium buildings. They're done by good developers. Um, They're higher rents than, you know, private investor buildings. Yep. And um, they they tend to be, you know, the finishes and the detailing is much, much higher standard. Talking... The opposite of 
high-rent buildings. There's a kind of low-rent solution being suggested for tenants, which they're calling the Fonzie flat. Oh, yes, yes. It's a guy who's, I think he's a kind of architect, urban developer person. His name is Mike Day. He's been on a tour of the States. There's a story in, on the, the Flat Chat website, um, but he's come up with this idea of, I don't know if you remember uh, Happy Days in the Fonz, mm. and he lived in a flat above his parents' garage, I think. And I think they're saying, look, we've got these bits of established building. It would be so easy just to build a flat on top of a two-car garage. Mm. And, uh, and then... There would be more, it's kind of like the granny flat concept. You yeah. Know? I mean, you've got lots of garages with nothing over them, really. Yeah. Just and, airspace. And the, uh, the the government, apparently the planning regulations make it quite difficult to do that. But uh, it's, it's an interesting idea to, to develop mm. Fonzie flats. Yeah, it came up a few few years ago. It was kind of very popular then. All right. Um, because the government allowed some development of granny flats, but it depends on different councils. Yes. So again, that's, again, yeah, it comes down to the local councils saying mm. we don't want anything that even resembles an apartment block in yeah. our. But you know, often they have great views because they're a bit elevated, mm. and um, you know, it's a, a nice taste of an apartment living for a house owner. Really, and it also gets a young person <laughs> out of the apartment building. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They can yeah. put a teenager in there. They could put, you know, elderly parents in there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not so much elderly parents climb stairs yeah, probably. That's true. But um, yeah, yeah, get away from the kids. Um, okay. So there's lots of innovative thinking going on around apartments, but the basic problem seems to be, and I got quite a good reaction from the piece that I put in, in the, the website last week about wargaming the housing crisis because when you look at all the elements that come into it like you know the the skill lack of skilled labor the supply of materials the nimbyism the planning the all mm. these different things there is no one single solution that's no that. and and julie collins the housing minister said that um you know, there'd been a long study of housing in Australia um, conducted by the former Mervac CEO, yep. Susan Lloyd Horowitz. She yep. was one of the people doing it. And I think they've come up with 11 recommendations to improve the housing situation. And now they're going through all of them and studying them really closely and seeing what could work. All right. And that's great that a government is actually applying their minds to this kind of thing. Thinking. I mean, it's a bit late, really. I mean, the housing yeah. crisis is really shocking for so many people. But, but everybody says, you know, just... Let the market decide, and you go. Well, that's how yeah. we got into this mess. That's right, and I mean, this is a basic need. You yeah, can't let the make market decide. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Strata Matters conference, which is on next week in Sydney. But you don't have to be in Sydney because you can attend online, and we'll be there. That's after this. <laughs> So they're letting us out of our little studio next week. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, we're going to be, we're not speakers so much as moderators on a couple of sessions at the mm. Strata Matters conference. Yeah. Strata Matters. Um, the OCN, the Owners Corporation Network uh, conference, their annual conference at uh, in North Sydney. Um, I try to remember, what I know I'm doing a, a thing about finance and levies and non-payment of levies and what do you do if you're running out of money because people aren't paying their levies. Mm, so that would be quite interesting. That's quite a, a topical topic. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm doing, I'm moderating a session about um, what to do with aging strata buildings, how to kind of rejuvenate them and maybe extend them and um, add, add to their value. All right. So that would be quite an interesting uh, session as well. Yeah. And then I think they've got a couple of keynote speakers too, haven't they? There will be presentations by David Chandler, mm-hmm. building commissioner. Although Chantivong, uh, the the uh, fair trading minister, is mm-hmm. going to be make a presentation. Oh, that is, look, there's a lot of high profile people there, mm-hmm. and and a lot of. Uh, people who think about strata and where we're going with it, because this is all tied in with what we were talking about earlier, the building of new houses. All these houses that they want, that they need to build, they're not going to be houses. They're yeah, going to be apartments, apartments. Absolutely. In, the, in the vast majority of cases, because it's just a much more efficient way of housing people. Mm. giving people homes. And there'll be plenty of opportunity to ask questions of all the speakers as well. Well, not if I'm to. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. That's one of our jobs is to moderate Mm. the discussion and to give people a chance to ask questions and and make their, uh, express their points of view. Yeah. And this is being held next Friday, isn't it? Friday the 22nd of September. Yep. From 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Yep. And, um, in North Sydney. And it's in real life and online. But you need to go to the OCN website, which is ocn.org.au, and click on their events tab there, and it'll tell you everything about it. Yeah. And if you're going to register, register early, because I think um, yep. they're running out of space because it's proving so popular, yep. which is good. And uh, it'll be even less space after my piece appears in the Finn Review on the weekend. Oh, okay. You're writing about it too. Yeah, but one of the things, actually, one of the things I've written about is one of the aspects in this is um, future-proofing your apartments. And, you know, we're coming up to a a period of serious concern for uh, apartments, you know, in terms of weather and floods and fire and and stuff like that. of course. And, you know, and people are talking about there being uh, power outages and things like that. And what do you do if there's a power outage in your apartment block or the lifts stop? (gasps) I mean, you can't, okay, you want to get the power back on, but what do you do until such times as it comes back on? Mm. So that's what I've written about this weekend in the Fin Review. Okay, look forward to reading that. All right, we've ticked all our boxes. We're... uh, there's so much, there is so much going on in Strata. Keep an eye on the Flat Chat website. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably know all about it already. Um, Sue's got a lot of articles coming up from the conferences that she attended this week. And, uh, if we're lucky, we'll see you at the Strata Matters conference next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website flatchat.com.au and if you haven't already done so you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spotify or your favourite podcatcher just search for Flat Chat Rap with a W click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying thanks again talk to you again next week